So in Great Jewish Faith, on page 148 and 149, that spread. So there is a, uh, a very interesting story that happened with the Chavetz Chaim. It's actually a story that was told to the Chavetz Chaim that when the Beis Halevi, uh, or Yosef Daiv Halevi Salvechik, when he was uh, offered the job to be the Rav of Brisk, which is, of course, the job that he took, and then his son, Rav Chaim, became the Rav Brisk Rav, and then his grandson, Rav Yitzhak Zeb, became the Rav Brisk So when he took this position, originally he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave his town where he was. Uh, he had a different shtala, a smaller shtala, but, and he didn't want to go to Brisk. I'm here, I'm here, we're already set, fine, there's no need to, to, to run anywhere. They told him there was a delegation that came again and tried to convince him to come, and he said there's 25,000 Jews that are waiting for you in Brisk for you to come. He said as soon as he heard that there were 25,000 Jews that were eagerly anticipating the Beis Halevi's arrival into Brisk as their Rav, he says, I can't turn them down. If there's 25,000 Jews, how could I say no? And he packed his bags and he went to Brisk and he became the Rav of the city. The Chavetz Chaim heard the story and he said that if the Beis Halevi would not refuse 25,000 Jews, he said, I can't refuse. 25,000 people you know, want me to come, I can't refuse. And that brought the Beis Halevi to Brisk so the Chavetz Chaim says, you think if there were 25,000 Jews that wanted Mashiach to come, that Mashiach wouldn't come? Uh, Mashiach is more of a Mephonic than, than, than the Beis Levi. Beis Levi, 25,000 Jews are come down. So Mashiach, also there's 25,000 Jews in the world that really genuinely were eagerly anticipating Mashiach's arrival. He would for sure come, he said. It's a question. It's a question. What's the answer? That's the answer. Exactly, that's the answer. Unfortunately, we must conclude that even that number of Jews globally, not just in one city, but throughout the entire world, do not really yearn for Mashiach's arrival. And if he would, if we would but wait, await his arrival, arrive he would. That's the, uh, that's, so this piece I call yearning. And then I found this, this is actually, truth be told, this is not brisk. It's a different city. But I couldn't resist, like the picture, you know, you have, you know, th- like many, many Jews waiting at the train station for something. It doesn't say what, but I thought this is a great visual of like people yearning for somebody to come, and uh, and that was uh, that's the that's the graphic. Okay. This is the Chavetz Chaim. This is the Chavetz It's a painting of the Chavetz Chaim. This is a very rare video that we showed the Rav Chaim Kanievsky that like the Chavetz Chaim walking. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course, yeah. There's a picture of him, but it's not the well-known picture of him, but I don't think it's actually an accurate one. How he like. I, I, you see, I think my, my feeling about that video is that the video does very much look like the classic picture of the Chavetz. People always said, when I was growing up, and still today, you know, that wasn't really the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim on the, on the cover of, like, The Lesson a Day, right. that, that was the milkman of, of Radin, and that was the postman of Radin. That wasn't, you know, and you hear legends like how the Chavetz Chaim's daughter said that he looks like a nice Jew, but he wasn't my father. I think that the, that, that video, which everyone agrees is the Chavetz Chaim, 
exactly. It looks exactly yeah. like him. I don't think that there's any question. I don't know how anyone could still be saying that that's not the real Chavetz Chaim. If you if you saying the video is Chavetz Chaim, then that picture, to me at least, it looks like exactly like the Chavetz Chaim. Okay. Once we're on the topic of the Chavetz Chaim, and this is by the way a this is on page. Somebody told me in Israel that they listened to me, but they wished that I would say the page numbers of the book because they they want to follow along, but they don't know what I'm talking about. So this is on page 164, 165. Um, this is the, a still from that video, a colorized wow. still from the video that you're talking about, okay? So, um, so the story, this story goes like this, that there was a very big tzaddik, his name was Rabbi Yosef Zundel Hutner of Aishashak. And he lived from 1846 to 1899. This is, I think, the only picture that we have of him. I don't know if it's a painting or a picture, but you can see he looks like a very big tzaddik. And so there was a wagon driver that was going uh, to Aishashak, and he told the Chavetz Chaim he's on his way to Aishashak. So he says, if you go to Aishashak, you know, do me a favor, please go to the big tzaddik of Yosef Zandol Hutner and get a bracha from me. I want you to procure a bracha from my via. You know, it says Chavetz Chaim himself was asking to get a bracha from somebody else. You can imagine how big that person was. Um, so Rebbe Zundel was obviously a bona fide tzaddik. And the Rav of Aishashak, he sent a cryptic wish that the Chavetz Chaim should soon go barefoot and carry stones go barefoot and carry stones. So this wagon driver is a simple man, and he like, was avoiding the Chavetz Chaim like the plague when he came back to Radim because you know, he, it sounded to him like a curse to go barefoot and carry stones. Like that, like I should, I should carry stones on my back and walk around barefoot, lose all, all your money. Like what, what does it mean? And so he was avoiding the Chavetz Chaim. One day the Chavetz Chaim like, saw him maybe from a distance and called him over. He started like, giving chase the Chavetz Chaim. Like, you know, caught up to him. He says, hey, buddy, like, wh- why? I-, I-, I sent you on a shlichas to the Rav Aishashak and you never got back to me. Like, why didn't you get, did he not give me a bracha? He says, he said something and I, I feel it's not bakavadik. I don't even want to repeat it. But it sounds like it's not a bracha. He says, so tell me what it is. He says, I really would rather not because I don't think it's nice what he said about the Chavetz Chaim. He says, what is it? So he says, he says the Chavetz Chaim, and again, it wasn't for me, Chavetz Chaim should go around barefoot and carry stones. And the Chavetz Chaim started beaming. He was so happy. He says, why are you so happy? It sounds like a curse. He says, no, 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 it's not a curse. He says, he, what he's saying is that Mashiach should come soon, Beis should be rebuilt, and the Chavetz Chaim was a Kayin, should be the Kayin Gadol. The Kayin Gadol walks around barefoot and he carries the stones of the Ur Metumim on him, the 12 beautiful stones of the Ur Metumim should be on his chest. He says that was the bracha, and the Chavetz Chaim was so happy that he got this tremendous bracha. Unfortunately, it wasn't Mekoyim, because the Chavetz Chaim obviously was Nifter, and the Beis Mikdash was not built, but that was the beauty of this, uh, that particular story. This is a very interesting... Um, this is a very, very interesting um, vart from the, from the Chazanish. The Chazanish has a sefer on the topic of Amunah and Bitachin. It's actually called Amunah Bitachin. 
So, everyone know, by the way, the difference between Amuna and Bitachan? Amuna, it sounds sort of like interchangeable, right? You have Amuna Bitachan, Amuna Bitachan. Like, what does it mean? They seem to both be like faith, right? Or belief. Like, what's... Is there a difference between Amuna and Bitachan? One of them is that I know there's a God out there, and one of them is that I trust that God's going to take care of me, right? Right. So, possibly, yeah. I mean, that that's definitely... Right, like... Emuna is, is belief in God and 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 is trusting in him. Meaning that's how the Chazanish learns it. Chazanish says like Emuna is like theoretical and Bitafin is practical. It's Emuna being put into real use. Like it's one thing if you ask me, Do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. Do you believe he runs the whole world? Yes, I do. Uh, okay, now if you lose your job, you don't have you have no money in the bank and you know the, the landlord's knocking on your door. Do you still have bitachan and Hashem, or that's gone? That's out the window. Meaning, it's bitachan means practically, like you, you know, boots on the ground. Do you believe in God practically, not just as a theoretical thing? Yes, I believe in Hashem. He exists and He's amazing. Yeah, really, but like on the ground, do you believe in Him? When things, when the when the going gets rough, you still believe in Him. When somebody's chasuchol, sick, and there's you, you know, you didn't do as well as you wanted on your midterm, on your final, and this, you know, you still you're still there with God. So the, the, the Chazanish says that many people understand bitachan, that means that that's the second thing, that trust, to mean that when faced with an undecided future, with an outcome either good or bad, one trusts in Hashem that surely the good result will occur. Is that how you would, is that how you would describe bitachan? Bitachan means everything's going to be great, right? The sun is always going to shine. Everything's going to be amazing. I'm always going to get the job. The, the story's always going to have a happy ending. Um, you know, a person gets sick, he's going to get better. A person's going to, a person can't die if I have Bitachan. Everything's going to be, everything's going to work out perfectly. That's how a lot of people operate in terms of their Bitachan. That Hashem, whatever, you know, the good outcome, if something, if there's a choice between good or bad happening, Hashem is going to make it good. I believe that Hashem is going to make it good. Do you think that that is that how you feel? Is that what you believe is the definition of bitachin? Not really, because you could you could be realistic and be like, even if something bad happens, then I know that that's from God and so it's a purpose. Kind of a weird way to think. Everything's always going to be good. Well, realistically, it's not going to happen. It should be like you know everything is good, even if it seems bad. Exactly, and that's exactly the quote from the Chazanish. He says that, and by the way, there are many people that do feel what I just said is true. Many people believe that if I, let's say, buy a lottery ticket, and you know, and I have real, real bitachin that it will happen, then I'm going to win the lottery. Hashem will make you win the lottery. What? You don't know what's good for you. Exactly. So the Chazanish says we do not have prophets to tell us what will happen. And man is not privy to the final decision of Hashem. Rather, says the Chazanish, Bitachin is knowing that nothing happens by chance. And that whatever does transpire, we believe to be the decree of Hashem, and we will accept it as His will. But it doesn't mean that it will always have a happy ending. If a person, Chas Shalom, is sick, a person has a relative that's sick, and that person does not survive the sickness, the person dies, that does not mean that your bitachin has been spoiled, your bitachin has been overturned. It means that now you have bitachin that this is what Hashem wanted. 
Hashem wanted this person to die, and I'm okay with it. This is the quote that I, the way I, I put it. Faith is not about everything turning out all right. It is about being all right, no matter how things turn out. You have to be okay. If you believe in Hashem, if you have real trust in Hashem, that means that no matter what happens in my life, I trust in Hashem. This is for the best. I'm going to be okay with it. It does not mean that everything is going to be spectacular. My life is going to be perfect. I'm going to always get the, the girl that I want to marry. I'm always going to get the job that I want. I'm always going to have the family that I thought I would. Sometimes things get messy in life, but that doesn't mean that bitachin all of a sudden evaporates. Bitachin means this is, I'm okay because I know that Hashem has this in store. Where does Shadu come into play? Because that's like, like you said, like you get a background in your test. If I didn't study enough, you know that that's a you difficult from God or like, well it all depends like you know if, if it's a man-made thing if I'm like let's say I have a test to study for and I don't study I mean I be talking yeah. you know instead I decide to go to the basement to stay till him the whole day it's a hard sell to, to I, I don't know if I would believe that you know, because there it requires you actually doing something. You know what I mean? If like, like Hashem wants you to, you have to make, you have to make parnasa, okay? If you're not doing anything whatsoever to make parnasa, not even a little bit, then Hashem has nothing to like put, give you the parnasa with. If even you buy a, a lottery ticket, at least you're giving Hashem some, you're doing some degree of ishtadlis that it looks like, but if, if what you need to do, let's say, uh, you know, whatever, I'm supposed to be at a certain place. If I don't get myself up from this chair and be there, then it's on me. I can't blame Hashem. Hey, how come it didn't, you know, uh, you know I was supposed to get, you know, buy a, an iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. How come I don't have the ice? Because you didn't get off, the, uh, off your chair and, and, and go to Dunkin' Donuts and get the iced coffee. That's not God's fault. There's, there's some things in life that you have to take ownership of. You have to do your ishtadlis. Then there are things like, let's say a person has a sick relative. That's not, you can't do anything, you're not a doctor, you're not a surgeon, you can't do anything about it. So there, you have to have and you have to hope, you hope that Hashem will, you'll daven to him that you'll get the result that you want, but even if you don't get the result that you want, that should not shake your bitachin. It, this is not, it's not a vending machine bitachin that I'm, I'm going to, you know, put in, but only on the condition that I get something out, and if Hashem doesn't give me what I asked for, then, you know, that's it, I'm done with him. Bitachem means that I'm going to be okay. I'm going to still believe in Hashem no matter what. I'll just believe that this is what Hashem wanted. I, I was hoping that he wanted something else. I was hoping that my tefillahs would, would, would move the needle and get something to change, but he decided else otherwise, so I'm good with that. That's the Chazanisha's definition of Bitachem. Bitachem is not always having a happy ending. I think there was... Pesach Kron says a great story about, you know, his father was very sick. His father died when he was uh, maybe 20 years old. And when his father was very sick in the hospital in Columbia, in, you know, in the upper, uh, upper Manhattan, so he was staying in Washington Heights for Shabbos because it's very near Columbia Hospital. And he was staying by Rav Schwab, by Rav Shimon Schwab's house. So, so Rav Schwab said... You know, how's your father feeling? He was asking him, you know, Shabbos, or before Shabbos, he says, he says he's not doing well, but I have bitachin that he's going to get, that Hashem is going to make everything good. Hashem is going to make him better. 
So Schwab, I guess, very delicately said to him that that's not what bitachin is. I'm sorry to, to pop your bubble. If you're only having bitachin that Hashem should make him better, that's not, that's not the way it works. Bitachin does not mean that I hope in God that things are going to be good, that it could be good, bad. I trust in God that he's going to make it good. That's not the pshat. Because bitachin is like the chazanish. That bitachin means that you're okay with no matter what happens. Hashem runs the world. You don't run the world. You could daven and you could pray and you could beg and you could, and that will help. But if it doesn't help, Hashem decides to override your prayers and he says, I have to take him. So then you have to be, be you have to have bitachin that that's the rutz in Hashem. That's what Hashem wanted. It's a very different, you know, way of looking at it than, uh, than always being uh, convinced that things are going to be good. There are, by the way, like I said before, not everybody agrees with this chazanish. It's a big debate about it. Like I think a lot of Hasidish, uh, you know, thinkers, they, a lot of them take a different approach. They say, what? What is it? What's the What's the alternative? They say that if you have real bitach, bitachen affects the decision of God. Meaning, the reason why if I buy a lottery ticket, Right? Why don't I win? Why don't I win? Either one of two reasons. Either, like you said before, Hashem doesn't think it knows better that it's not good for me. It probably isn't good for me to suddenly, you know, have hundreds of millions of dollars. Probably not a good idea. That's one option. The other option is that I didn't have bitachin enough bitachin that it would that would it would work. The, how do you prove that? So the story of the Rasul Salander guy says, uh, you know, I have, you know, I bought a lottery ticket and I have bitachin that it's going to win. It's the drawing's tomorrow night. It's a $50 million drawing. I have real bitachin that's going to win. So Rasul Salander says, really? Um, could I buy the ticket off of you now? He says, how much? He says, $25 million. He says, yeah, okay. He says, you don't have bitachin. If you're willing to give up the ticket for $25 million, you know, bitachin. So bitachin means I really, really, really feel that I'm going to win. I feel that I put all of my, you know, bitachin into this ticket that it's going to be a winner. Hashem is going to make me win. And I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to make me win. There are farm that say that you could win the lottery. If you don't win the lottery, it's because you, don't, you didn't have pure bitachin. But that means to say that bitachin itself... Is a is a vehicle to get what you want. If I want to, you know, if I want to get a certain girl, she's not interested in me. If I have real bitachin Hashem that you're going to help me and you're going to, she's going to suddenly, you know, find me irresistible, and I'm going to be able to marry the girl. And this is true with everything in life. That's there. There are svarim that say that. It could be sometimes that I say, you know, like, and and some people even say the chazan ish holds that. And I, I read this chazan ish many times, and I. And, what? Both can be true. Not really. That's because the Chazinish says Beferush, that that's not the Pshah. He I, says it black and white. I don't know how anyone can learn otherwise. I feel like, like I also had experiences in life where I, or everyone does, where you believe 100% that something's going to happen, and it did many times. Even in stupid things, like playing the game or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the odds are totally against you, and then, like, out of nowhere, like, but I feel like it's, it, it's not going to happen, like, every single time. If I have been talking tonight, also, people can reach that level. So this, the Chazonish Bitochon is a more practical level. Not everyone can believe 100% oh, that God's going to, that this is going to happen for me. It's a very high level of a, it's a very high and like weird level to, right. to reach. It's a more practical level, but there, I feel like there are instances 
where if you do have the, those secluded times of belief, then they definitely will have to, will have to. It also doesn't make sense, because, or if I really, really, really believe something's going to happen, but God knows that it's not good for me, that it's going to happen, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense. I can control, basically, that's what some say. Some say that even if it's not, even if it's horrible like for, for me. Like for the girl that, that I'm going to marry, you can't you, you can't say the name of a girl they want to pray. No. So, but I can now be the one that this is the girl for me. But it's not. Like literally up there, it's not. It's not. It's not much to do. But maybe maybe if you really force God's hand with your with the power of talking, maybe you would be able to get that girl, even if it's not good for you. There are there is a school of thought that bitachon can force God's hand if you really. Yeah, whatever. I don't know how it works, but that's you know that you could actually force God's hand and make and get something. Even if I could win the lottery, it's going to be horrible for me. But you know, but I could I could actually make that happen. You have to really have, but in order for it to work, you have to really have a thousand percent bitachon that it's gonna that it's gonna happen. Okay, let's do one more, and we'll stop for the day. Um, this is a great part from the Abudram. Abudram was um, a Rishain who wrote like the Pirish on Siddur, right? He is like the, the master of understanding Tefillah. It's a masterpiece of a work, the Abudram. He said like this, it's one of the famous things that he says in a Sefer, why is it that there is something called Maidim Durabanan? You ever notice there's no shmak helena drabon? It's like Hashem, like, you know, the Baltfila, the, the Shlatzibar stops in the middle of Rafaino and everybody says their own Rafaino. Only one place in Shmanesha that happens, and that's by Maidim. The Chazan says his Maidim, and everybody else says their own Maidim drabonim. Why is that? Why, why, why did Anshak Nesagdaila set up Chazar Sashas that we all have to say our own private Maidim? So the Abhidram says that gratitude to Hashem cannot be delegated to someone to do on our behalf. It, we must express it ourselves. Meaning that, what does it mean? That the Baltfila should go and say thank you on my behalf? Imagine if like our, on my anniversary, I ask one of you guys, do me a favor, call my wife, tell her I really appreciate everything she did for me over the last you know, 28 years or whatever, uh, 20, 26 years um, that I'm, I'm <laughs> married. Um, you know, how would that fly? Would that you think my wife would be like, oh my gosh, honey, that was so sweet that you had hear me, call me, and thank me for, you know, I don't think that would go over too well, right? If it came from Yermi, it might go over well. Maybe, yeah, 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 everyone else knew I'm not. But, you know, why not? Because saying thank you has to be done. You can't delegate a thank you. This doesn't work. You can delegate a lot of other stuff in life, but you can't delegate appreciation and gratitude. So to have the Shlech Tzibor say Maidim, we're all listening and like, okay, good job, good job. That, no, you have to say your own Maidim to Hashem. Every single person has an obligation to personally give thanks to Hashem on their own. If you're waiting for other people to do it for you on your behalf, you have a Shlech Tzibor, you have a rabbi, you know, pray for you, you have this, that's not the way it works. You have to thank, you have to thank Hashem personally. Um, it says, just as a servant does not thank his master through a messenger, for gratitude is not something to be delegated to others, we too must thank God individually and cannot fulfill our obligation of maidim by means of the efforts of the chazan. We know the chazan is not going to be able to do the job. I heard something on Pesach where there's two different opinions in the 
Gomer, and the rabbi in the, in the shul said, well, you listen, and if you I'll say the bracha for you, say amen, and you're free from your obligation. Right. So that's one school, uh, one opinion the Then another alacha is you have to say yourself. That's right. the meiri. He says exactly. the reason why I say bracha to Gomer yourself because you, no one can thank God on your behalf. The miracle that happened to you is a personal experience, and you have to be the one that has to thank God. So that's another alacha. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Right. So right. Exactly. So that's what he's saying. When it comes to Hagayim, sometimes in yeshivas they'll say, okay, somebody's going to make Hagayim because they don't want to spend 30 minutes on, you know, every guy flew in. So I say, he's going to be Yitz and Shemekai and everyone's going to listen. And that, we do that. Lamaisa and yeshiva, we do that. But there are many opinions. I think Sardin maybe, they, I don't, I'm not sure, but, but there are definitely Paiskim that say, no, no, no. When it comes to Hagayim, you're thanking Hashem, you've got to do it yourself. Can't, you can't outsource a gaimo just like you can't outsource maidim. There are certain things you need to do on your own, and, and maidim is one of those things. Yeah, it has to come from the heart. If you're also saying maidim, you have no kavano, let's say you're just saying thank you, but you're just like spacing out, also it's not good. I heard once that Rav Shlomo Zaman Arbach was saying, it was benching, and he said naidlucha, and then all of a sudden they hear him say naidlucha again. So you said naidlucha, he says, I know. Says, but I, I, I was spacing out when I said Naidlucha the first time. And he says, it's a Chiddush Ladina. He says that if you're saying thank you and you're not thinking about that you're really thankful, it's nothing. It's not like you, you're Yaitzu benching. How's that Yaitzu benching? You didn't have, you didn't express in your heart, you didn't feel the thankfulness, the gratitude that has to be, you're spacing out. So if you tell your wife, you know, thank you for supper and you mean it, that's good. If you're just like, you know, you're watching the ball game and you're saying thank you and you have no idea, you know, just, uh, you're just davening it up, your wife is going to say, you know, you know there's, a, there's a mice with the, the rapam. The rapam, there was a, a farmer um, who every night he would come home and his wife would make for him a delicious supper with chicken and rice and barley and whatever. And everything was delicious. And the husband was like a, a grubber guy. He was like a real... You know, not a not a sensitive normal person. He never said thank you. He just got up after the meal and he, he walked away. No thank you. No, it was delicious. Thank you for working on it. Nothing. So, so one night, and she was very hurt, obviously. So one night, she he comes home, and there's like a bale of hay on his plate, like what they give the horses. You know, those squares of hay. There's like a bale, and he says, "My hay, like what? What is this?" So he, she said, "You know what?" I feed the horses throughout the day. They don't say thank you. And this is what I feed them. So you don't say thank you to them. I might as well feed you the same thing as the horses because there's no, there's no human emotion involved. You're not a human, you're, you're an animal. And so when we say maidim, we have to like, real, or any form of expression of thanksgiving, whether it's to Hashem or to a friend or to a spouse or whatever, you have to mean it. It has to be real. If you're just saying it, it's just lip service. It doesn't mean anything. And so that's, a, um, that's something very important for us to keep in mind. When we're, our relationship with Hashem has to be warm, has to be real. When you're saying, Maidim, stop a minute and think, I'm taka grateful to you, Hashem, for giving me all the blessings that you do.